This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. So when I was a boy, I had to walk 10 miles to school in the snow, uphill, through broken glass on my hands and knees every single day. Not really, but we've all heard variations of that story, where things were so much harder before, and they're so much easier now, and people just don't realize how easy they have it. And I kind of feel that way about plant-based cooking, plant-based eating. When you look at the availability of foods in regular old supermarkets, when you look at the availability of recipes on the web, when you look at the availability of really high-quality plant-based cookbooks, things were very different when I got started, where the cookbooks that were semi-plant-based, there were almost no vegan cookbooks, but, you know, Moosewood, Laurel's Kitchen, high in oil, high in dairy, a lot of eggs. And gradually, as we became more aware of the importance of a whole food, plant-based diet and eliminating oils, lots of sugar, uh, dairy, and eggs, the recipes got really bleak. And it's only been in the last 15 years that a, a cuisine has emerged that is healthy, that is tasty, that is appealing to families, that is welcoming to standard American diet consumers, that's affordable, and that is a simple part of an everyday life. It doesn't look like you have to, you know, go become Amish or a Vermont hippie on a commune in order to eat that way. And today's guest, Drina Burton, is one of the leading lights in cookbook publishing to bring us to this place. And if you look through her early cookbooks and you see her own personal evolution, she is definitely not doctrinaire. She's definitely learned a lot along the way. And today, she shares the thoughts and concepts behind her latest cookbook, Plant-Powered Families. We have a special treat in the middle, which is before the interview, I called my niece, Rachel, who lives with her family in New York City, and asked for her questions, her challenges, and she gave me quite a few to, to grill Drina about. So things like eating out, going to other people's houses, how do you strike a balance between the culture around us that we have to fit into and eliminating toxic influences from our diets? Um, dealing with the issue of a husband whose taste buds are not quite acclimated, who wants more flavor. Um, how do you do that? How do you deal with a kid who you make a healthy meal that includes pasta, and at the end of the meal, the pasta's gone, but all the vegetables are still on the plate? Things like that. So we, we really get into it. And, and one line that Drina wrote in the introduction to plant-powered families really stuck with me. She says, it's not the vegan part of vegan parenting that's hard, it's the parenting part. So really we're not talking about anything different, anything special. We're talking about keeping your family within a culture, vibrantly participating in it, but also protecting your children, your other family members from its worst aspects. Drina and her publisher, also my publisher, Ben Bella Books, graciously shared three recipes um, which you can find on the blog post of this podcast episode. If you go to plantyourself.com and do a quick search for Drina, that's D-R-E-E-N-A, you'll find it. We've done two interviews. This is the more recent one, uh, published July 2015. And you'll find, what are they? There's the uh, umami burgers. There's uh, oatmeal cookies, oatmeal banana bites, they're called, and crazy brownies. So without further ado... Drina Burton, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Thanks for having me, Howard. It is a pleasure. So I am uh, I'm a longtime customer and reader and fan of yours. Um, your, your, your cookbooks are among the dirtiest in my kitchen. <laughs> with, with more, more, That's good more news. <laughs> stains and dog ears than, than and partly because I've had them for a long time. You've been doing this for for quite a while. What year was your first cookbook published? Yeah. Yeah, my first book was published in 2001, and uh, I've been vegan for 20 years, so kind of before it was <laughs> cool or hip to be vegan. Um, yeah, so I, my first book came out in 2001. Yeah, so this is um, 14 years, and this is your, your fifth real published book, and it's yeah. called 
plant-powered families, over 100 kid-tested whole foods vegan recipes. So the question is why this book? You seem to be able to turn out recipes in your sleep on a dime. You're incredibly <laughs> prolific. Why did you choose the, the theme of families and kid-friendly for this cookbook? I really felt it was time. I think over the years of doing my cookbooks, I always had in my head that, you know, I really want to do a family-themed cookbook because I get the questions all the time on my blog and email and, and social media, and they're the questions I hear over and over, like, oh, my gosh, my kids start school this year. What am I going to pack in lunches? And uh, my kids are picky, and I don't know how to introduce this food to them. And what do you do? How do you get your kids to eat chickpeas, or how do you get them to eat greens? And um, And all the questions that come up about social situations and working with um, you know, other friends and even doctors and that kind of thing. Like I get these questions so often and I felt it was just time to bring a family themed cookbook into the realm because there's so much out there right now for vegans and people eating plant-based and so many varieties of cookbooks from gluten-free to soy-free to very, you know, niche groups and categories and cookies and everything. But there really wasn't anything about raising families. And that's where we're going. And that's that's been the trend. We, we need to help our younger generation and our children to understand and thrive with this beautiful diet. So I just felt the timing was right. And I, I also had been through a few stages with the girls. So when they were really little, I thought, okay, well, I've been parenting for, you know, five or six years, but they haven't hit high school yet, or they haven't hit, um, you know, the elementary, the later elementary years. But now I feel like they're all at stages where I could talk about that different stage with them. And so my eldest is now 14 and my youngest is six. And I thought it was a really good time to kind of put all of my ideas and, and, experience of parenting to date into a book with lots of good, wholesome recipes. Cool. So on the cover, there's a picture of you and I guess your three girls. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's a bunch of pictures of uh, you know your your daughters, you know, eating food, making food, examining right. food. Um, th- you know, so obviously we, we put our best foot forward in, in public, <laughs> but I'm imagining that there are moments in your family's life that aren't as idyllic as these photos. Like I, I was actually looking at the cover, trying to find anything out of place in the kitchen, like like hoping you like left a dirty fork on the sink, just because yeah. just that's my life. And I, I and I, I felt, you know, a little threatened by the perfection. What's yeah, it's. It's a cookbook cover. That's why people say, is your kitchen always that clean? And I laugh because I have maybe a half hour or an hour a day that my kitchen is semi-clean. And I look at it and I sort of soak in all the the luxury of looking at some space in the kitchen. Because, I mean, I'm out grocery shopping every couple of days getting extra produce. I'm always bringing groceries, always washing. I wash produce as often as I buy it. And I have cookbooks all over the place. And my kids are in the kitchen all the time. And yeah, no, it is not like that. And I laugh because even the image of the girls on the front, they're very composed and sort of reaching for food. And then there's a few inside the book where their actual personalities come out and you see their crazy expressions. And I love that because I think that's really who they are, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, my house is not clean and um, not like that at all. Uh, Everybody rest assured. I actually post real life photos on Instagram of what my kitchen (laughs) really looks like. Yeah. That's great. Because the same way, there's there's sort of a, a sense that we, there's, there's a way to do this right. And that if someone wants to feed their kids healthy, you know, that, that there, there's a lot of ways in which we can, we can judge ourselves, get down on ourselves. Um, because yeah. in, my, in my own case, I, was, I, I had a hard conversion after reading the China study, and I became a tyrant, mm-hmm. and I caused a lot of mm-hmm. upset and, and distress and food battles. And like, there's, there's, no, there's no perfect way... To, to go about raising healthy plant-based slash vegan kids in this culture. Is, is there? No. No, there really isn't. And, I mean, we eat a very whole foods diet. Our kids eat really healthy at home, and they eat a whole foods diet. But I always tell parents, like, there is a place for the treats with kids because if you don't have them for your family and for your kids – 
they, I think they develop this feeling that they're not part of what is sort of normalized out there. And what's normalized isn't, isn't good for the most part. I mean, what kids are eating is pretty awful. But um, I had a lot of, I, I did a talk this weekend and I had a, a few parents ask me, well, do your kids feel they're missing out? Like, do they feel like they need to have a burger? Or do they feel like they need to go get junk food? And I said, you know, I think it's because they enjoy their food and they feel like they can have treats and I don't say you can't, that they don't feel that way. Like they don't feel they have to go and sneak something or, you know, talk to their friends and try to get out with them to get something. They really have no interest in going to McDonald's or, you know, trying cheese or anything like that. And I think it's because when they, when we go to birthday parties, I bring the vegan equivalent of whatever they're having at the party, pizza or whatnot. So, you know, the day a pizza comes out or we go get a uh, veggie hot dog or whatever. And so we have those convenience and processed foods for those times. And our kids eat them at other times too. But the bulk of our diet, like 85, 90% is based on whole foods. So trying to be at this level of perfection with kids, it's just going to really, I think, make you miserable. And your kids probably won't feel like, you know, they're having that kind of childhood that they see other kids have. So there's really, you've got to find that balance with them. Um, because our culture is just not at that place yet. Yeah. So I um, was looking through the the book and, and highlighting things that I, I found interesting and, and especially relevant to me. And there was a sentence or there was two sentences there that were actually worth the price of the book to me <laughs> um, in the introduction. And you write, it's not the vegan part of parenting that's difficult. It's the parenting part. Right. And that really struck me. And could you explain what what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, people always ask me, how is it so hard to have your kids vegan? And I find our diet is just life. It's easy. I mean, it's not that it's easy per se. I'm not going to say that, you know, I don't put time into food pre preparation, that kind of thing. But when you're doing it for a period of time, you really get a sense of, you start to understand food more so that it really becomes easier and you find a few key recipes that you can rotate every week and send to lunches and that kind of thing. So it really does become easier in your life than you think it might. It's all the other stuff in parenting that's complicated. It's the social stuff at school. It's what's going on online. It's what's, uh, you know, even just emotional issues that you deal with your kids. Or, uh, you know, you, you think you have your week kind of mapped out and then one of them's really sick and everything is up in the air. and. I went like I went away last weekend and my little one was crying her heart out. And I mean, it's all that stuff that's hard with parenting and the issues that every stage brings a new issue. Things that go on at school on their during their activities, parenting dramas and politics on, you know, sports teams and all those things. The diet part of it to me is is the easy part. <laughs> it's everything else. And really to make our diet feel like it's that complicated, we're putting a lot of burden on ourselves when um, we can figure that out. It's all the other stuff that are more complex. <laughs> yeah. So and, and I was I was struck as I'm going through this cookbook and, you know, in, in both in, um, you know, a decade or so of plant based eating, as well as doing this podcast and getting a lot of people uh, sending me their cookbooks. Um, I've seen a lot of cookbooks. <laughs> um, you have. I sure have. And, you know, and some of them d develop sort of pride of some of them. I'll, I'll, I'll like, grab a few recipes from and then I'll sort of, you know, put them on my iPad and be able to call them up. This there's something different about this cookbook, certainly from your other ones. And I don't know what it is. Um, there's 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 more of an accessibility to it. I, I, I can't exactly explain why this one feels like it's going to be sort of you know, in the kitchen all the time, like a go to like almost like a like a 101, like, a, uh, you know, a, a user's manual, as opposed to something that I would I would read and put off in a corner. I'm wondering, you know, first of all, like, what, what was your intention? Like, who, who did you think of as your audience for this cookbook? And what did you do to to make it be that like that that go to mm. first line of defense against you know, inappropriate food. 
Right. I, well, first, thank you for saying that. I, I feel that way about this book, too. I feel like anybody can pick this book up and enjoy the recipes. So I think with my other books, uh, I mean, I love to experiment with food. and I love to try out new ingredients and kind of like play around with ideas and, and, and find ways to make food really interesting and different and exciting. Um, but when you have three kids, that becomes harder and harder to do because life is so busy. And for me, my recipes have sort of taken a curve of, okay, they still have to taste great. And my family has to really feel satisfied and enjoy them. And I want to enjoy the process too. But enjoying that process now has to be much more, like you said, accessible. It has to be easier. So for me now, a lot of my recipe development has become simplified. So I rely on, you know, using a processor, a food processor a lot to make, say, veggie burgers. And instead of sauteing ingredients at the beginning, I find a way to make sure everything gets into that food processor and still tastes good without having that extra step of sauteing so you don't have another can to clean and you don't have extra work to do, that kind of thing. And I really wanted this book to be, you know, not just for those established vegans and people who are really versed in the plant-based world, but I mean, I have a, for instance, I have a girlfriend that I met up with this past weekend and they're not vegan and her family's not vegan, but she was really like intrigued and she's a good, good girlfriend of mine. And she said, like, I can make these recipes for my family. And they, she sort of has this perception of vegan food being you know, a little weird and something. And I said in my talk, I was, you know, talking to these families and, and something that my, my youngest says often about her friends in kindergarten, she says, mommy, my friend, and she'll give me a name, eat vegan food, you know? And I said, I say to her, yeah, she does. Because most of us, everybody eats vegan food. <laughs> like we all eat pasta. Most of us eat pasta and bananas and potatoes and beans and, you know, um, things like fruit and all of these foods that most of us eat, but we just eat all. And I said, hope we just eat all vegan food. So your friends are eating vegan foods. We just eat all the vegan foods. And I think I, I wanted to give that message in this book that these are not different foods. They're just food. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just food from nature and they're delicious and wonderful. And so I wanted people like her to be able to pick up the book who aren't vegan and just start exploring and trying things because now her daughter's very interested in eating healthier. And I, I had the red lentil hummus at this uh, festival and people loved it and her daughter loved it. She's 16. And she said, mom, I want you to make that for me. And so that's what I was really hoping to accomplish too that not just people who've been following my work and and been vegan for a while but any family can pick it up and say hey I can make this soup or I can make these muffins and it's not complicated and I don't have to get like really you know new age ingredients or anything to make them yeah I'm so, thinking yeah. I'm, great I'm, I'm thinking about you know the first vegan cookbooks that I got and this would be like in the 1990s um, they were, st were still sort of coming out of the hippie era so I think, yes, you know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so your your first cookbook, which I believe was Let Them Eat Vegan, is that, am I getting my chronology right? Um, the first one was The Everyday the, Vegan. The Everyday and then it Vegan. Was, right. Then it was Vibla Vegan, all the plays on, on vegan words. And then um, Eat, Drink, and Be Vegan, and Let Them Eat Vegan. Okay. So that I, had, was, I had it backwards. Yes. So, That's so okay. The, <laughs> the Everyday Vegan it was, was one of the first cookbooks that really started contributing concepts, styles, recipes, ingredients that really started the shift that we've seen over the last 10, 15 years. Like the, the cookbooks that come out now, the recipes, the, it's just it's so much better than it was in, it in 2000. Um, it is, yeah. You know, and, and you have contributed to that. And certainly lots of other cookbook authors have, have contributed to it as well. What, what do you think are the biggest differences in in how you cook and how you think about feeding your family and and I mean I guess you didn't have kids in 2001 yeah. but what, what what are the biggest differences in the last 15 years in your your own yeah. personal evolution as a as a cook that that's a great question and I really feel like I have like my work has evolved as um not just as a cook, but as a vegan, my own sort of dietary habits have evolved as well. And so I rely far more, I mean, my, my whole food philosophy is much more about whole foods than it was. And I always, I think, was known as one of the healthier vegan cooks in, in the vegan realm when even, say, 10 years ago or five years ago. But 
if I look at my work then, I can see that, okay, there was a time I was using white flour. Well, now I don't use any processed, refined flours like that. It's always whole grain. Um, and everything that I do is based on whole foods to really – and it's amazing because the, sometimes the more you simplify a recipe – and don't fool with the natural ingredients so much. It's actually much tastier and wonderful and beautiful. It's like less is more in a way. Um, and so seasoning things are still important, but um, definitely a trend towards more whole foods and not fussing and overcomplicating things. And I, I, we still consume um, tofu and, and soy and that kind of thing, but we definitely consume less of it than we did, say, 10 years ago. And in terms of the cookery, you know, vegan cookery world and cookbooks, it's very much become a standard in a way that photos, and I think it's wonderful that photos are for every recipe or at least for a bulk of the recipes. So my first cookbook had, I think, maybe eight photographs. My second cookbook didn't have any food photographs. Um, this one has a photograph for every recipe in the book. So I think that's really important for readers that they can see it. They just need to see it. And they know their fi finished dish is not going to look like a professional photographer, but they just want to get a visual. And I think that's been really important. And I think for vegan cookbooks, there's been a trend to just show how beautiful the food is and how you know, it's natural and beautiful and, and elevate it to that level with other cookbooks that are out there that aren't plant-based. Mm, I wanted to ask you about the photographs because as I was looking at them, it feels like someone went to a lot of trouble to show me the ingredients in the finished product. Like I'm looking at the, the simplest marinated baked tofu on 79 and it's almost like right. I, could, I could look at the photo and reverse engineer the recipe. Or the kale ah, chips like or, or the Southwest mm -hmm. quinoa salad. Like I can really see, I mean, obviously for some of like blended soups, you can't quite, but, right. but I can really like, it's almost like one of those um, really good uh, drawings on how to put together a piece of furniture where you're like, oh, got it. And so okay. like, did you take the photos? Like who? How? I did. I, yeah, I cannot take any credit for that. I, my photographer, uh, she has a website too. It's called a dash of And she's, um, she develops her own recipes as well. And, uh, she's also coming out with a book. I think it's uh, next year. It's a pantry book based on vegan staples and, and pantry items. Her name is Nicole Axworthy. And she, she was just amazing to work with because she, I mean, she was someone who actually followed my work for a while and she became really skilled in photography and I started to ask her to help me out on a couple of projects and I just said, you know, if I get another cookbook going, I want you to work with me. And so she did and I was so grateful because I could send her the recipes and really give her very little you know, like sort of ideas of what I wanted to see. Like I just say, here's the recipe. Maybe let's show it in a wrap, like the tofu. Maybe let's show it in a wrap, like a lunch wrap. And she would just envision it and do it. And I'd be, wow. So she, she <laughs> not only photographed it, she cooked them herself. Yes, she cooked it herself. And, and she didn't, I think there was a time um, with food photography, like years ago when I did Everyday Vegan, uh, the photographer in that did change the recipe to make it look sort of the way he wanted to look. And I, I said, no, can you keep the ingredients the way they are? Um, so, so now, and I think that's changed too with, with cookbooks, um, you know, and, and food photography that people want to really stay true to the recipe so that readers see it almost like they would make it. So yeah, she would cook it and then for, uh, photograph the recipe eat for everything. And she styled it and, and sort of conceptualized everything. Mm. Well, it really, it really is a, I think, a, a new level of food photography that kind of the, the as you said, you know, every, every, every recipe should have a photo to be really useful. And this, mm -hmm. this photo, it's not, it's not just eye candy. It really is. It feels, it feels to me um, really integrated into, into my development as a plant-based cook. I really, I appreciate that feedback and I'm going to, send that to her too because I think a lot of there's a lot of really sort of gourmet photography out there which is beautiful and artistic but we don't really get a sense of what it is in real life and this is meant to be real life food like this is meant to be for not just families too people who are busy and just want to get food on the table easily quickly and um so to have someone do that in their real life home and just kind of you know show it beautifully but that it really is 
how it would be. <laughs> I think readers can relate to that. Mm. So uh, I'd love to talk about all the all the food. The only the only dish I've had a chance to make from the book so far um, was the um, was the uh, banana bites, oatmeal banana bites, um, which I made because I was in a rush today and it looked really quick and easy. And it was. Unfortunately, I had to make a second batch because we ate them all up before the guests arrived. Um, but. I, what I, one of the things I wanted to do, and I, and I warned you of this before we, we got on the air, is I had a conversation with my niece this morning um, in preparation for this call, and she is a, uh, a school teacher in New York City. She has a one-and-a-half-year-old, hi, Benjamin, and, and she recently has, you know, uh, drunk, drunk the plant-based Kool-Aid and... Um, <laughs> Actually works works with um, with her school kids, public school kids in New York, to teach them about healthy mm. eating and the politics of oh, food and all, and all that. And you know, very very hectic lifestyle, very busy. And I asked her, like, what would she like to know uh, from you as a you know as, as a an expert on feeding kids healthy vegan food? Um, so you're ready for some of her questions. I love that. Yeah, bring it on. I love it. Yes. Okay, so it's, it's start, it's, we're starting with um, not a child question, but a husband question. <laughs> so, uh oh. <laughs> so, so partly we're dragging the husband along a little bit, and <laughs> yeah. And she says his biggest complaint when she cooks is that it's not flavorful enough, and she's always trying, okay. always trying to add spices, more intense flavor, and she's wondering if she's getting the ratios wrong. Or is it just is it in, in, inevitable, unavoidable because the other food he's eating when he goes out, or, or does takeout, or eats at work is you know such high concentrations mm. of you know fat, sugar, oil, salt that um, that there's no plant based food that could compete um, with with his uh, what his palate is used to. I, well, you know, that's probably really a common thing. I think that that's a really good question because, uh, you know, a lot of us know people that are pretty hooked on you know, eating out at restaurants and such or take out. But there is an addictive quality and a very sensory quality because of, like you said, they do use a lot of salt. They do use a lot of – and fat is a flavor carrier. So when you go to restaurants, it's, when foods are deep fried or you, there's a lot of oil in dishes, it is – something that helps carry flavors. So it's, they're doing it for a reason, partly for probably a, a cooking technique, but also for flavor. Um, I would say that she looks for some recipes that are highly flavorful, like maybe some ethnic dishes, because they tend to use a lot of interesting spice combinations, but also bring some whole food fats into dishes. So for instance, I have... Um, yeah. Well, actually, this recipe is in my last book, Let Them Eat Vegan. And someone came to me recently and said that was her son's favorite dish. It was the Mexican bean soup with um, a chipotle avocado cream. And I was kind of surprised that it was her son's favorite dish because he was only 10 or 11. I said, wow, that's interesting. But that, my husband loves that dish, and he really loves that soup. It's one of his favorites. And so the soup itself is really flavorful because it's got a lot of spices and cumin seed and some sort of like smoky good flavors in there. But then when you put the chipotle avocado cream on top, that adds that lusciousness and that fat flavor, textural quality that – really is satisfying and so I would suggest she does that and then also maybe something like a veggie burger I mean my husband loves veggie burgers I could probably make them every night and he'd be he wouldn't ask for anything different but some of them can be really bland store-bought ones are often very salty but or salty and spicy but not great flavors if you know what I mean like they can be very high in sodium and have a lot of heat spice but not a lot of flavor and so uh, I might suggest she try well there's one in my book it's umami almond and quinoa burger and it has uh, a mixture of quinoa with nuts pureed in a food processor and that on its own does not sound terribly interesting but the flavors that are in there offer like one that element of umami that we talk about that's a really like extra depth of of flavor and if if you can find a few recipes that are like that that really add some whole food fats like with the nuts or or avocado or something like that, I think you might find it more satisfying and interesting. And then maybe look into some ethnic uh, dishes, some Indian food would probably be really tasty and interesting. So I might suggest those as 
some ideas to start with. Awesome. Hey, if it's all right with you, I will I will check with uh, your publisher, Ben Bella, to see if I can um, post that umami quinoa burger recipe with this post. Yeah, they would be happy to do that. I'd love for you to do that for sure. Awesome. Okay, so the second question now involves the the toddler. Um, he's a sneaky picker. So you'll give him a, a dish of you know pasta and vegetables, and you'll get the dish back, yeah. and it will just have the vegetables in it. And even if the vegetables are cut up real small, he will find a way to eat the pasta. Now, I know you're, you're not a huge fan of hide the vegetables. Right. Uh, what, what would, Kids are good at that, too. Yeah. Kids are so good at picking it out no matter how small it is. Mine do the same. <laughs> so what, what, do you, um, what, do you, what do you suggest? Well, um, I, I, I'm not – yeah, I'm not an advocate of hiding everything because I think kids do need to develop – uh, an appreciation of what the food is. and But there are times when I puree and add vegetables just for flavor and textural um, quality. So, uh, for instance, there's a pasta casserole in the book. It's called Magnificent. And I use, I bake up sweet potatoes. I bake onion whole and a sweet potato whole. And the onion gets very caramelized and flavorful. And so does the sweet potato. And then I puree that with the other ingredients to make the sauce. So in that sense, the vegetables are getting into the into the recipe without, I'm not trying to hide them, I'm putting them in there to create a sauce. So she could try to do that kind of thing where you're bringing them into the food um, as something that it makes the dish rather than trying to hide it. Uh, Another way is like a pasta sauce. I use lentils in, I have a, a recipe in the book with a hearty tomato lentil sauce, but sometimes I just take a jar of tomato or like pasta sauce, store-bought pasta sauce, and I cook that with red lentils, rinse the red lentils and add extra water and cook that with it. And the red lentils just cook right into the pasta sauce. So if she did something like that and you could um, even great carrot, for instance, or process or some veggies you want to go in there and they would dissolve right into the sauce. So that would be another way of doing it. Um, or another idea is like green smoothies to get some veggies into um, her little one that way. But I mean, our six-year-old, if I serve a soup and I chop the veggies pretty fine, she'll still find a way to pick out the onions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, little ones... I. And I think it's just that their palates are still developing. And it's frustrating for us as parents because it drives us crazy to see them pick those things out. But, like, I look at my 14-year-old now, and she eats pretty much everything. She enjoys all, just about every vegetable, and she'll eat a big salad at supper and love it. And she'll ask for, you know, extra veggies on the side or something like that. And there was a time she didn't do that. So I always remind myself that, okay, well, the little one might be picky with that now. But just keep presenting it. And over time, you kind of see them grow with it and to kind of keep that longer-term goal in mind. Mm. And you, you write about kids going through phases, and that was another one of Rachel's questions, was there, there are times when, when Benjamin just only wants to have takeout. Like he doesn't want any food yeah. that she's prepared. Sometimes he goes through phases where all he wants is mushy food or all he wants is sandwiches. How do you counsel parents to stay sane and, and and ride these waves i'm not sure i'm one to counsel because i'm not quite sure yeah. i'm there myself <laughs> but um you know if they're only wanting sandwiches then try to mix up what the fillings are like it's very easy to get in ruts and i talk to people about like packing school lunches for instance and so uh, Often peanut butter and jelly is a big sandwich that we all grew up on and, and no schools. I don't think any school allows peanut butter anymore, but you can switch up the filling. So try different nut butters. Instead of jams, try some sliced fruit like sliced strawberries or even sliced dates, which people may not think of, but it's very sweet and, and it's tasty in a, you know, in a sweeter sandwich like that. Or try different wraps for your, or, you know, bread for your sandwiches. So instead of a of a whole grain, you know, spread, then we'll maybe try a whole grain tortilla or see if they might like a lettuce wrap. I mean, it sounds like my, my again, my kids, they didn't like that kind of thing for a long time, but I did a video on collard wraps 
And after I did the video, uh, my daughter said, Mom, can I try it? I said, yeah, of course. And then she was asking for them. So, um, yeah, try to ride the wave, but maybe just try to mix it up with different things. And if you find something that your kid is loving, I always say look at what they're loving and then try to integrate something new into that. So, again, like our kids love guacamole, and I can pretty much serve anything and put some avocado on it, and they'll dig into it just for the sake of the avocado being on top. You know, so try to find things that they love and then work the new food into it. And when they get older, it's always, I mean, it's fun for me to ask the kids, uh, what do you think's in that? Because if I serve a soup or casserole and they're eating and enjoying it, and I say, no, what do you think's in there? And they'll guess what the ingredients are. And when my little one discovers that something's in there that she doesn't like at all, which is what, you know, right now she's in this yucky and stinky phase. Almost everything that is new that I'm serving is yucky and stinky. (laughs) And she says, I don't like that. It's yucky and stinky. Well, you haven't tried it, but it's yucky and stinky. Well, you're not going to get to say that until you try it. And, um, but if you just kind of, you know, play with them a little bit and, and understand that it's a phase and ride it out a little, um, yeah, you kind of have to roll with the punches a little bit and just accept that it will get better. It really will. Mm. So what, what what do you think of as a good balance between like be, being a marionette, you know, sort of jerked around by your kids changing desires and fickleness and maybe some you know, some terrible twos or power play, mm. developmental power plays going on versus, you know, the way I would teach like an adult who's trying to change their diet is like find three dishes you make and just keep making them. Like remove all the moving parts, right. remove all right. friction, all decision making. Just keep it simple until your taste buds have adapted. How, how do you, you can't yeah. really do, you can't do that with kids. They're, they're going to keep you on your feet. How do you find that balance? They will. Yeah, they will. And you have to give them the chance to try things. And I mean, we have one daughter that will not eat any berry, like no blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries. She does not like berries, period. And I thought it was something she was trying to drive me crazy with. Like, okay, come on, eat a berry. They're delicious. But then someone posted on my blog that she said, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm an adult. I'm in my 40s and I've never liked berries my whole life. The seeds taste bitter to me. And I thought, you know, some people really do. It's not always just them you know, working you, but sometimes they really have a strong food dislike. So you sometimes have to discern between it being a true dislike or a phase. And when they're toddlers, they're moving so much, they don't want to sit long to eat anyhow. I mean, they're just on the go. So expecting them to sit for a long time is expecting too much from a little person. And as as long as they're eating you know, good wholesome food, and you see them eating it, they're going to monitor their appetite. I mean, their kids will eat when they're hungry. So if you're not filling them up during the day on a lot of like a lot of parents can fill their kids up on things like juices and things that will satiate them very temporarily because of like something like juices will really satiate kids for a little while because of the sugars but they're not getting much nutrition at all so we don't drink juices much in our house at all not processed juices i may make fresh juices because that kind of thing really tapers off their appetite to eat a good meal and so you kind of have to look at how much are you giving them for snacks and just, you know, understand that kids, little, little kids will move and they'll eat when they're hungry. When they get older, that's when they're starting to kind of play those games with you and power trips. But also, if you're going to cave once or twice, they're going to know it and they're going to keep working you. So yeah. you do, ha- you know, you're, they really will. So when our six-year-old now says, oh, I don't want this for supper, I look at her and I say, well, this is supper. So this is what we're eating. If you would like to eat, this is supper. And uh, I said, you know, and sometimes I may offer something and say, you can have a little avocado on it if you like. And she'll say, okay. And then she's fine. So yeah, you do have to be firm. I mean, kids are so <laughs> tuned into when we will get nudged. They really know when we're firm in our ground or not. And you do have to stand your ground with it. But understand their stages and that it really may be a true dislike in food and honor that. Mm. So when we're talking about get kids getting older, um, so it, it, what just came to mind is when I turned 12, uh, I was a competitive um, racquetball player, which is, uh, was a good sport to be competitive in because mm. nobody played it. So it was much, much yeah. easier than, you know, tennis or soccer or something like that. But I was also a terrible sport. And I would throw my racket and I would curse and I would cry and I, I'm 
I was sure I was terrible to be on the court with. I'm sure no one wanted to play with me. And then finally, I, I entered a tournament and I played against a kid who was a worse sport than me. And I was so disgusted by his behavior that like overnight I transformed into I don't know if you remember Bjorn Borg, you know, the the stoic Swedish tennis player who <laughs> you, you showed no emotion that that I became that mm -hmm. instantaneously. And the reason I'm telling this story is that th there was like these moments when my kids who had been fighting over food and wanting the desserts and wanting the crap and wanting to get chicken nuggets at McDonald's. At a certain point, they observed was like what happened when their classmates ate crappy food and they would come and right. tell me like, you know, so and so was really off the rocker today or, you know, look like noticing just kids just looked unhealthy and sickly and had no energy and couldn't sleep. And they like they started putting it together and coming and reporting back to me. And I'm wondering if you've had yeah. that experience and your readers tell you about the moment when when their kids see consequences to dietary choices. Mm. I've definitely seen it with my kids, for sure. I mean, in a couple of regards, one, we've had times where the kids eat something inadvertently, eat something that contains dairy or something. it happens. I mean, they're at a party or something. And they feel quite sick after our middle girl had, uh, Bridget, she was at a party, a school party, and she, she came home and she said, oh, I had a lot of bread at the party because she really loves, she loves bread products, this one. And, and um, she said, I'm feeling really sick. And I said, um, do you know what the bread was? I said, because, you know, I didn't bring any bread. And usually I say to them, unless I brought it, you, you're not sure. Like, unless it's fruit or vegetables then it's probably not vegan at the party. And uh, she said, well, it did have like orange stuff in it. And I said, yeah, that was probably, you know, they put grated cheese in breads. And I said, yeah, that was cheese, honey, I think. And so that's why you're feeling sick. And so they make that connection. And there's times when our daughter has been at parties and has had vegan cupcakes, but has eaten too many, just too many. And she feels sick. So they do make that connection. Um, and our older girl plays, well, both of our older girls play competitive hockey. And every time they go on a tournament, she sees what the other kids are eating. Well, she sees what they're eating all the time, you know, even just before and after games. But on tournaments, it's especially noticeable for them because they're out of, you know, their regular routines. And she said, Mom, all they're eating is like pizza and chips and soft drinks. And my husband and I talk about it a lot. We say, you know, we spend so much time and, and money in these sports for our kids, and we're driving them around, we're spending all this money, and a lot of parents are really invested be over and above with camps and things and, and, and trying to train these kids, but they're putting no thought into nourishment at all, and their kids are eating the worst food, and then they're tired after in their games, and and that we noticed with our eldest this year, she her immunity was great all through the season. And her, her teammates were getting sick. And she'd get colds and stuff, but could get through it and be fine. Whereas her, her teammates were getting really run down and knocked out for a week or infections. So she, she really sees that connection now that she's older. And even our younger ones, if they eat too much sugar or are at a party and just overdo it, they really feel it. So kids, they, they make the connection. They do. Um, and I, our girls, if they're eating a lot of junk, like last night while I was away, they just didn't eat as healthy as when I'm here. And she, when we, I put dinner on the table last night, um, Charlotte, my older girl said, oh, it's so good to have this kind of meal again. Hmm. And they were eating pretty well while I was away, but not as healthy as when I'm here. So they get it. They really, they really develop an appreciation for food. And I, I mean, I think it's one of the best things about raising our kids in this in this diet is not just how you know they're helping them their bodies and it's environmentally better and it's cruelty free but also they develop this appreciation for real food that is going to be with them for a lot for their lives it's a real gift right so the the, the next question from rachel is i think one of the most difficult and i'm sure you get this a lot and have dealt with it a lot is just, you know, going out to eat other people's houses, parties, grandparents who might not be on board. Like, how much do you try to control? And I guess this varies by age of a child. But how much do you try to control what your child is eating when they're not in your clutches, in your kitchen, at your table? Mm -hmm. You know, there's birthday mm -hmm. parties. There's there's this whole world of, of celebration and pleasure 
that revolves around food that, that you and I and most of our listeners now would prefer not to eat or mm-hmm. put into our kids. How do, you, how do you navigate that without turning the family into like some doomsday cult? <laughs> yeah, and it's more than ever now, right? Because our kids, uh, I mean, it starts in preschool. They have these party days every month. They have birthday parties for kids. Every every birthday, parents are bringing cupcakes. It's so over the top now, <laughs> the way we are. And um, I, I talk about this in the book, I, about birthday parties in schools and social situations. And one thing, when they're really little uh, with school, I always talk to the teacher, say like preschool and early elementary years, talk to the teacher, make sure they know and teachers are usually pretty aware now because of food allergies. So talk to them and, and let them know, you know, my kid's not eating dairy and meat. We're vegan and explain. And so for situations like school at the beginning of the year and then usually halfway through the year, I do it again. I bring in like a little loot bag or goodie bag of treats so that when they have those party days at school and they're giving out cupcakes or uh, those cheese crackers or whatever it is, um, the teacher can take something out of the bag. And so it might be some little dark chocolate bars, some seaweed snacks, some popcorn, some uh, vegan gummies or something like that. So the kid, our kids can have a treat along with the other kids. So that's one thing I do like at school. And then at parties, um, I always talk to the host and let them know. And a lot of our, you know, mom friends and school friends, they already know our diet. But anytime I always say, you know, we don't eat dairy, we don't eat meat, we eat a vegan diet, so I will bring the vegan equivalent. Can you let me know what you're having at the party? And they, it's always pizza and hot dogs. It's always, always pizza and hot dogs. <laughs> I think I've had once in the last 14 years I brought a sandwich because they were having sandwiches. Um, and so I will bring a piece of vegan pizza, and I'll either pick one up at the store, like a day of pizza, which is so great. Those products are available to us now. Or I might make something up, but usually I pick one up and just bake it and cut a couple of pieces off the pizza. I let it cool down and pop it in a container for the for my daughter to bring. And then I'll either send along, if I can pick up a little piece of vegan cake, I will. Or sometimes what I do is I buy the little frozen treats, like the So Delicious um, ice cream sandwiches or any little novelty ice cream snack. And I'll bring it in a cooler and ask, the the host to just pop it in their freezer until they have their cake so our daughter can have like that and a lot of times their friends are jealous because they want the ice cream so um those are a couple of tricks i do for things like birthday parties and then when they're older like you said when they're older it's a little easier because they really know what they're eating and for our 14 year old she doesn't want like our friends are out and they're eating a lot of junk and going to mcdonald's and she's not interested and they some she said her friends sometimes say don't you want a bite of this or don't you miss not having? She said, no, I don't. Um, But when she goes out, usually what I do, like if she's going to a movie with a friend, I'll give her the full bag. I'll buy a bag of popcorn, give her the full bag and say, and she takes a little carry bag and I say, just share it with your friends. You know, if you're with a friend or two, just share it. And same with cookies or something like that. I'll pack a few, you know, a little container and say, share them. So that tends to be my approach is give them the food and let them share it. And just make sure they're prepared or give them a little bit of money. And they, when they're older, they'll know what they, you know, generally can eat or not. Um, but it's just being a little bit prepared, really, and having a few things at the ready. Mm. I'm wondering about self-identity in terms of how easy it is for kids and how resolved they are to, to maintain some standard. Whether, um, you know, I, my daughter became an ethical vegan um, not because I was like, she decided that on her own. And at that point it was, Mm -hmm. you know, it was very, very easy for her to make decisions as opposed to, you know, sort of people who are doing it for more health reasons or environmental reasons that there's, there's a lot more wiggle room and and gray areas. Um, I agree. Mm -hmm. What's, what's your experience been? I guess you've, you've just raised your kids as ethical vegans from, from the get go, right? Yeah, I mean, they it, with our family, they they we've all been doing it for so long and our kids have have not known like they have not known what it is to meet, eat meat or they just don't know what that life is. But as much as you know, we are connected to the animal, you know, exploitation and cruelty side of being vegan, it's not something that I, you know, 
preach on them all the time because they, they know it. They get it. We've, we've talked about it through different stages. But at times it comes up. Like, it certainly comes up. And um, our middle girl, the other, it was about a month ago, somehow we got to talking about dairy cows. And I explained that, well, you know, the baby cow is taken away from the mommy as soon as she, soon as she's born like as soon as the baby's born she's taken from or he or she's taken from the mommy and she said why and I said well they take the milk from the mommy then and then they take that cow off and she was devastated at that idea and um we got to talking about it and one day she came home from school and said we're doing speeches at school and um I said okay what do you want to talk about and she said I want to talk about why we should eat meat and dairy and I said um are you sure about that yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a loaded topic <laughs> But she really wanted to talk about it. It's not something that I say, oh, you know, I want you to go in and, you know, preach to the class about this. But she really wanted to. And she did such a good job. And so, you know, they kind of, I think kids, one, are naturally compassionate if you, and, and they're very connected to animals. We kind of disconnect them as as adults, as we grow. Um, you know, I think we become disconnected because of the way we live. But if you look at kids from a young age, they're pretty connected and compassionate. It's when we interfere, <laughs> you know, and, and freak them out about bugs and freak them out about, you know, crawly things and all that kind of thing that they become that way. And um, so I think if, I, I, I think for us, I mean, yes, we're, we're connected on all different levels. Certainly health is a big issue for us. But people who are connected more on that, side of compassion for animals I agree with you there's it's less of a gray area but it's also really important for them to recognize the health aspect so that they are healthy long term with it right and and so they they don't they don't just just eat the diet pizza and and it's so delicious right exactly and then they're the ones that say well I tried the vegan diet but it didn't work well you've really you know you have to look at what's going to sustain you long term too right Right, and especially if you want to be an ambassador for for a way yes. of life, if you if you want to, you know, th- think of it as sort of a secular witnessing for for an ethical stance, you know, if you look terrible and you and you're in pain right. and you're in awful health because of your diet, you're you're kind of um, undermining your, your mission. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're gonna have a hard time convincing people. <laughs> Uh, so I had a question about the, the end of the introduction. You talk about the, the help you received from your friend and colleague, Heather Nichols, um, the uh, mm-hmm. nutritionist. And you talk about the frequently asked questions about eating plant powered, particularly that vegan trifecta of protein slash calcium slash <laughs> iron. And I, I found myself wondering, like, do you worry about nutrients at all? Or is that sort of handholding for... Mm-hmm for new 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 vegans in your audience it's really to help the people who have those initial because i really don't i don't at this point it's not something the only thing that i make sure kids get is our b12 supplement because i know that's pretty essential for them and then in the winter they also get a vegan um the vegan vitamin d and i also supplement them with vegan dha at times um, because they're growing and kids don't always get all the omega-3s they need. I mean, sometimes they don't always want to have like, you know, hemp seeds or whatever. So that for me, that component is kind of important. But in terms of protein and iron and calcium, you're eating your whole foods and getting beans and greens and grains and nuts and seeds. You're really covering those bases. And that's also been shown a lot in the literature now and the research. So it's really just to help people who are new to the diet and still have those nagging doubts you know they still have those fears like oh i'm just not sure about calcium it's really to to ease their minds and help them on the journey Mm -hmm. and so you've been doing this uh for 15 years now the cookbooks the the public appearances being being a leader in the movement i'm sure i'm sure a lot even before uh plant-powered families there were a lot of parents looking to you for for guidance on on feeding their kids what do you hear about from from your readers now 15 you know up to 15 years on about their children growing up going into the world do you do you get feedback about that sort of thing about their their success their health their their level of interest in healthy eating 
Um, I, it's funny because I'm really hearing more about families in the last five years than I ever did. I feel like the, the movement has really changed in the last five years. I think large in part to, you know, some of the media out there like Forks Over Knives and just some of the the information that has be, helped people see it on a more mainstream level. And so now people feel like much more comfortable about talking about raising their kids and their families. And there's more groups on Facebook and a lot more connectedness with, with families. But the people who, yeah, the people who have uh, are raising their kids on a plant hard diet, I, it's, it's generally so positive. I mean, really, it's just so positive. My kids are enjoying their food and they're happy and they like this. And sometimes I'm so surprised, like really literally so surprised that, Someone tells me their two-year-old loves, you know, some kind of hummus that's pretty garlicky. So, oh, someone online the other day said their kid will only eat roasted garlic hummus, and and the, I think they were two. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, and so you've just, usually, you've just, just you've just ruined them for Sabra. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just uh, it's it's surprising and, and it's. I don't know. It's it's a wonderful feeling. I connected with a lot of moms the weekend because I did a talk on plant park families. So I'm looking out at the room and seeing toddlers crawling around the floor while I'm talking and children coming up to have a book signed with their moms. And I thought, this is cool, really cool, because 10 years ago when I did these, that wasn't the, the experience. It was adults and it was a lot of skepticism. I found my trip and this experience with doing a talk recently, I had far less skepticism than I've ever seen um, even five years ago. The message is really becoming more uh, trusted and people are accepting it and understanding it. And it's really getting into mainstream. So for me, that's, it's like there's much more acceptance than there ever was. And it's, it's a whole new hope and it's exciting. I think we're in an exciting time with it. Great. So before before I let you go, one of the things I I notice about your recipes is that they're very often surprising to me. Like, oh, how did you think of that? So I'm wondering, I'm imagining that you you make a lot of things that never make it into the cookbook because they're just too crazy and they just they don't they don't work. Like you're sort of like a mad scientist. I'm curious. Um, you know, cor correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my, that's my guess. Um, is like which which recipe in this book was like the biggest uh, outside chance? Like the thing that you know that you right. swung for the fences and actually it, it worked. What, what was the one that kind of uh, surprised and delighted you the most that it worked? <laughs> I, well, I love that question. And yes, I have scraps of paper everywhere of things that I try out and I go, okay, that just wasn't a really good idea. But I have a lot of crazy going on. Like, how can I make this happen? And I think. That's why I named a recipe Crazy Brownies in the book. And they really they really are crazy. Um, when I'm, I've made them, I actually I had samples again at this festival the weekend. And I asked people in the audience to guess what was in them. And I had all these guesses. It was so fun to, to have people guess. And so ultimately, what's in the brownies, there is no flour of any kind in the brownies. That base, I, I really don't even want to tell people because I want them to try the recipe first. Uh, I get my friend who's not vegan, her daughter tried them and she said, they're the best brownies I've ever had. And they're made with kidney beans and dates and there's tahini in there and potatoes. And that alone sounds really gross. <laughs> you think, how can a brownie come out of that? But when you combine the sweeteners and the cocoa, and I put some chocolate chips in there, and then I have a frosting on top as well. Um, and that, so that is why I call them crazy brownies, because it really is a bit of crazy that came together. And that, so that's probably the recipe that I say, yeah, that was my best bit of craziness. <laughs> cool. I, I wonder if you could uh, reverse engineer the quiz and show people the ingredients and ask them, what do you think this makes? And see how, <laughs> see how many people would come up with, with even a dessert, let alone chocolate brownies. <laughs> That's it. Okay, I'm going to try that one next time because I'm sure I'll get like hummus or burgers or something like that. <laughs> That's fun. Awesome. Well, uh, so I'm, I'm going to talk to Ben Bella about getting uh, permission to throw in the crazy brownies, the uh, umami quinoa burgers, and then my, my favorite recipe, which is the only one I've made so far, the oatmeal banana bites. <laughs> um, we'll do that. We'll certainly do that for you. So I also, I also want to mention that, you know, so there's... Um, there's 100 plus recipes. Everyone has a picture. And they also have some really good chapters in the back about how to and hand holding um, that 
I'm really glad is is there because you have you have a two week meal plan, um, and you know I I would invite people to to get this book and even if you look at the meal plan and you make it like seven times simpler like you have like a one day meal mm-hmm, plan mm-hmm. and just keep making yep. that again and again like this is this really is like the most accessible cookbook I've seen both in terms of the pictures, the the simplicity, but not too simple. It's not just like, you know, mm-hmm. brown rice with broccoli. It's it's actually it's got, you know, flavors, but it's such a perfect balance and the accessibility of the finished product. You know, it's uh, I think this really will make life easier for parents who are trying to do the right thing by their kids. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And I had at one point when I was writing the book, I had to make a decision whether I included more recipes or included those sections. And as much as I love to share recipes and I wanted to include like I had to take out, I think, 30 recipes and I really wanted to keep them in there. But you get tight on space with books. And I had to make the decision. I said, no, I really have to get those sections in there because that's the kind of stuff that people really feel like, okay, they they need, like you say, a little bit of hand holding some help with what am I going to do if I'm in this situation? And what about not free situations at school? What can I pack for my kids and all those things? And uh, it was kind of like the heart of the book for me. I really wanted to get that in there. So I appreciate you saying that. Great. So before we go, um, you know, cookbooks are great, but there's something very intimate about following someone on a website when they're posting their pictures and telling you about their successes and failures and being able to have conversations via comment thread. Uh, how can people mm-hmm. how can people be in touch with you on that basis? Where where, where should they go to to sort of follow your daily oh, life online? Yeah. For sure. Well, uh, my my site is plantpoweredkitchen.com, and if they go there, they can link through to all my social media um, links that I'm on. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram. And I don't think I'm going to go on anymore because that's enough to manage. But um, I, I tend to do different things on each. And Instagram, I love to sort of show some of the just really, you know, day-to-day moments of things, food that doesn't look super styled or anything like that. And then I tend to share, share different links on Facebook and just a little bit of everything on there. But if they go to my website, they can get links to everything there. Awesome. That's plantpoweredkitchen.com. Yes. Well, Drina, thank you so much. Thanks for your for your work over the past decade and a half, uh, feeding me and my family and uh, hundreds of thousands of others. And and thanks for this beautiful, powerful, important, accessible book, Plant Powered Families. Wow, thank you. I really, I mean, that means a great deal. And I always love talking to you. So thanks for having me on, Howard. Yeah, and I should have I should have started by by welcoming you back because you you you, yeah. you have been on before, and uh, we 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 talked about um, your own sort of ups and downs around health and weight, and uh, mm-hmm. so pe- pe- people should know that um, that your your visage and your your picture your photos in this book are uh, are not genetic inheritance. They are they're, they're based on based on virtue. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I did not grow up eating this diet, that's for sure. And uh, I always say to people, diet is definitely a journey. I'm still learning things every day. I learn from my readers every day, and I love that. So people should feel like not that it all has to come together in an instant for them. It really is a journey. Right on. And uh, and, and any a delicious journey with, with you as our uh, as our guide. So again, Drina Burton, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much. Be well. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Trina Burton on Plant Powered Families. Your action step, should you choose to take it, is, of course, to go to the blog, uh, plantyourself.com, search for Drina, find this episode, and make one or more of the recipes that she has graciously uh, allowed me to reprint there. If you want to support this podcast, the best way to do it is to share it on social media and especially to go to iTunes. If you haven't done it yet, please go to iTunes and leave a review, leave some stars. That way other people who are searching in general for health and wellness can find it. People who wouldn't necessarily find this on their own. If you want to go to plantyourself.com and at the top right, you can sign up for a wellness webinar. That's my, my new day job is teaching people 
globally about how to get off the medical treadmill, how to stop taking drugs, how to eliminate the need for procedures, surgeries, how to use lifestyle whenever possible to take back your health. And of course, there's some conditions for which modern medicine is crucial. But too much, too much of our money is being spent on fairly useless, if not harmful, drugs and procedures that would be totally unnecessary if we simply understood the value of a healthy lifestyle. So that's my mission. If you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to participate in a webinar in which I discuss my opinions and findings, sign up at plantyourself.com. Also at plantyourself.com slash dinners, if you find yourself in the Triangle region of North Carolina, I have a couple times a month free introductory dinners. Feed you lasagna, salad, bread, dessert, and talk to you about how to escape from the medical mill and take charge of your own health. It's free. Again, you can bring friends and all you have to do is RSVP. So if you go to plantyourself.com dinners, you can find out more about that. If you'd like to talk to me privately about your health, just send me a note at hj at plantyourself.com and we can get together on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes and we can see if there's some way that I can help you become healthy and get off that medical mill and achieve true wellness as opposed to disease maintenance. The garden has been doing pretty good this week. We've got a lot of patty pans, which are sort of like flying saucer shaped summer squash. We got a lot of blueberries. We got a bunch of ugly tomatoes, which look fine in sauce once uh, processed and canned. And I got a great recipe from my friend Miyoko Shinner, who's going to appear in an upcoming podcast episode talking about the homemade vegan pantry. The recipe is, you know, after you've processed tomatoes with a food mill, you've got all the seeds and skins. And instead of just composting them, I actually made them into tomato skin pesto, uh, which is pretty darn remarkable. Very, very intensely flavorful and nothing to get stuck between your teeth. It's been a good week of rain. Uh, we've had a, we had a nice power outage for several hours due to, uh, well, the thunderstorms that, that accompanied that rain. So I'm hopeful for a, a good mid to late summer and fall planting season. And I wish you great weather wherever you are. And as always, be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.